the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Someone who thinks about the great issues of life and has thought through it, written about it, lectured about it, and in this case, he meets all the criteria. And that is Rod Dreher, D-R-E, D as in David, R-E-H-E-R, editor of the American Conservative and author of the best-selling book, Live Not by Lies. Rod and I last saw each other in Budapest a month ago. And we had similar reactions. And I want to talk to you folks about that because this there are ultimate issues involved in Eastern Europe right now. As I have said, um, when I came back from Romania uh, three years ago, speaking there, if there is hope for Western Europe, the hope, in my opinion, comes from Eastern Europe. Let me give you two other analogies about what you might not expect in life. If there is hope for Christianity in the world, I think it resides in Africa, with African Christendom. And if there is hope for the United States, it resides in the south of the United States. As I have said, for at least 20 years, the North saved the Union in the 19th century, and the South will save it in the 21st. Ironically, Roger Ayer lives in the South, in Louisiana. Not many people from Baton Rouge in Budapest at any given time, but he just came back. The New Yorker has a piece about him. Is it today? It came out last night. Yeah, boy, that was perfect. They they asked me, when is he coming on your show? <laughs> and I told them, and here it is. What American conservatives see in Hungary's leader? For Rod Dreher and others, the country under Viktor Orban has become a dark mirror for the U.S. culture wars. I don't know what dark mirror is. They're dark mirror. Yeah, it's always dark for them. Yes, well, it's bright when they were in their, they're in control. Anyway, Rod, welcome back. When did you come back from Hungary? I got back about a month ago, but then had to rush back to Europe to do a book tour in Italy for Live Not By Lies. And I got to tell you, Dennis, it's amazing to see how European conservatives are waking up to the threat from American wokeness. It's it's incredible because, as you know, when you when you travel abroad, you see the 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 width and the the breadth and the depth of American popular culture and what it's doing to the rest of the world. Everywhere I went in Italy, I talked to people, ordinary people, not think tankers, professional conservatives and journalists, but ordinary people who are so angry at America for the things that are coming at them from our woke establishment. Even the French. Even the French. Yes, even uh, Macron. Didn't he say something about that? I mean, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah. He said that if we accept wokeness here in France, it's going to destroy us. And he's right about that. When I was in Hungary for a very brief 
uh, jaunt on, on this latest trip to Italy. And I spoke to a woman, a woman about my age, mid-50s, who said that her 19-year-old son uh, will only listen and watch English-language media. And he's his head is filled with wokeness. He asked his mother, Mom, did you ever kiss a girl? She, she nearly slapped him. Wow. Yeah, and, uh, she, wow. and he said, oh, Mom, don't be upset that um, all of my friends, we're all experimenting. Now, this is Hungary. This isn't New York. Oh, this isn't London. Oh, my God. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And even in a country like Hungary, where they have a strong leader who's doing his best, uh, the power of American popular culture uh, is even uh, corrupting well, the that, that son should watch PragerU videos instead. Tell, tell the mother. There's an alternative in English. I asked you during the break, I, and for my listeners' benefit, I try not to talk about what I'm going to talk about on the air. When, with a guest prior to because I wanted to all be spontaneous but I couldn't resist and I asked you where do you feel freer in Hungary or the United States and you answered Hungary without question I didn't pursue now I'm going to pursue I felt the same thing it is almost impossible for me to overstate how sad I am to give that answer had you told me at any time in my life I would feel freer in Hungary than in America, I would have thought you were out of your mind. Why did you answer Hungary? Because wokeness is not in power there. Because the institutions of that country have not been corrupted by this uh, soft totalitarianism of the left. I'll give you an example. When I was over there, I asked uh, the people at the Danube Institute where I was working, can you hook me up with someone from the anti-Orban left-wing opposition, somebody responsible I could talk to because I wanted to get their side of things. They sent me to a professor named Peter Krako. Uh, Peter and I sat down in his office at the university where he teaches, and uh, he told me he was against Orban because of corruption, because he's in favor of gay marriage, uh, and Orban is not. He said, but I'm not sure how I feel about transgenderism. I don't follow that logic. And then we went on to talk about other things. At the end of our interview, Dennis, uh, Krako looked at me and said, but you know, at the end of the day, I can stand in my classroom here in Budapest and say whatever I want, and nobody from the state will bother me. I said, Professor, that's really interesting, because if you were in America, even as a leftist, and you said what you said at the start of our interview, that you agreed with gay marriage, but you weren't sure about the logic of transgenderism, you would be assaulted by your students, they would demand your firing, your university would probably fire you, and you may never work again. So who's more free, Professor, you here as a liberal in, in Orban's Hungary or your liberal counterpart in the United States who doesn't toe the line? Perfect example. By the way, the strength of any position is giving examples. So you're the perfect guest. That, that example is exactly right. You can say anything you want about Orban. You're not going to be arrested. You're not going to be fired. But you can say anything you want uh, about uh, Biden and, and not lose your job in many cases. As we gave the example, and I'll say it again, what uh, it was the it was a video company? What was it? A game company? Yeah. A major game company. I don't remember the name. We'll look it up. This happened last week. The CEO came out as pro-life. He was fired. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think that would happen in Hungary. If you if you said you were pro-choice in in Orban's Hungary and you were CEO of a major company, I don't think that you would be fired. Of course you wouldn't. I mean, this is the lie the left tells about Hungary. They they keep saying in their reporting on it in the Atlantic and elsewhere that it is an authoritarian dark place where people are persecuted for their political views. It's just not true. It took me about 10 days over Wait, are you charging the left with lying? You know, Dennis, I'm afraid I, I am. <laughs> it's, but th- look, this is why when I got over there, it, it, it just stunned me to see after about 10 days that 90% of the narrative in the American media about Hungary is a lie. I texted my friend Tucker Carlson. I said, Tucker, you've got to get over here because everything that, that the left tells us about, and the American media tells us about Hungary is not true. You should come over here and show your viewers what Hungary is actually like. And he did. That's right, he did. Well, he spoke on uh, Saturday, I spoke on Friday at the same conference. Who who were the people who brought us in? Well, for me, it was the Danube Institute, right. a think tank, funded by the government, but they, did, they brought me in and said, you can do what you want. We'll introduce you to whoever you want to, just write what you want. They, there are no requirements. I think in your case it was MCC, that's the Matthias right. Corvinus Collegium. Right, that's what I, I didn't. I didn't master the Hungarian. Go ahead. Yeah, and they are a. Um, well, actually, it, that's Latin. It's not right. It's not right, Latin. right, right. Yeah. But Matthias Corvinus was a great medieval king in Hungary, and right. uh, they they're an educational institution that is trying to uh, to build some kind of resistance to the overwhelming domination, even in Hungary of educational institutions by the left. Here's something interesting about MCC. Uh, There's a well-known American left-wing professor, I won't mention his name, who was invited to come to a fellowship there. He texted me and said, listen, you know, know, I'm an atheist, I'm on the left, I've been invited to Hungary, what can you tell me? I'm nervous about Hungary from what I read. I said, professor, you will be able in Hungary to have the kind of discussions at MCC that you cannot have on your campus in America because they value freedom of expression and they value open discourse. My guest is an important modern thinker, Rod Dreher, D-R-E-H-E-R. I had him on for his book when it came out, Live Not By Lies, very important book. And we met in Hungary when I was speaking there, and he was there for Hungarian Institute to speak as well and to study just last month. Weren't you uh, as uh, excited as my wife and I were at all these terrific young people? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I tend to be really... I don't know if cynical is the right word, Dennis, but I tend to be uh, depressed when I look at what's happening in our own country and the way we're poisoning the minds of the young, and so many of them seem to be going along with it. But there in Hungary, I met young people who had not lost their hope. From a lot of countries. From a lot of countries, yeah. And I find this all over Europe. You know, uh, I, I... We can't say that just the people we meet are representative of everybody, but for me as an American to go to Europe, and I have had all the old stereotypes about Europe as decadent and wasted uh, and faithless, but I meet young people who are the future. If they can get into positions of power and influence, and it might not happen in their generation, but they are the seeds of hope for rebirth of that continent and I think of Western civilization. What do you think of my theory, and I always tell guests it's a perfectly okay thing to differ with me, 
But what did you think of my theory that Eastern Europe will save Western Europe? You know, I think you're right, and this is something that I, I became convinced of as I was researching my book, Live Not By Lies. For those who didn't listen to your earlier show, it's a book based on things that people in our country, in the United States, who immigrated from the communist countries of Eastern Europe, were telling me about how the things they see happening in America today remind them of what they ran away from. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wrote about their analysis, but I also went to the former communist countries of Eastern Europe and to Russia to interview dissidents who stayed behind and who resisted communism. And I just asked them plainly, what can you tell us? What do we in the West need to know about how to resist wokeness and the soft totalitarianism that we already see starting and that I think is going to get worse? And I just turned my tape recorder on and let them talk. And that's what the book is about. What's interesting about it, Dennis, is that they all agreed that the main thing that we have to do now, or, or there are two things. First of all, we have to start forming small groups and networks of groups of people who see what's happening and can reinforce each other by doing simple things like the, the Hillsdale curriculum you, you talked about earlier, teaching ourselves and our youth what the true history is. But more important than that, they said, we have to learn how to suffer again. We have to learn the meaning of suffering, that when we suffer for the truth, that God will use it in some uh, mysterious way to redeem the world. But if we don't, we're not prepared to suffer for the truth and for our faith, we're lost, they said. Well, that answers the, one of the most frequently asked questions I receive. Dennis, there are the first one is, and they're related, what do I tell my son or daughter at college? If they write what they believe, they'll get a bad grade. So this has been my answer, and then I want to give you the other question. But my answer to that, the first time it was asked of me, and I've kept the, up the same answer. I would say to my child, I'm not telling you what to say to yours, I can't, but I would say to my child, if you compromise on what you believe at 20, when will you stop? That's been my answer to the question, should my kid say what they believe and get a worse grade, a lower grade? The other question, completely related, Dennis, if I, if I post, let's say, a PragerU video on my Facebook page, I, I will be renounced at work and I may lose friends. So my answer to that one is, that's correct. So you mentioned suffering is inevitable for those who fight for what is good. It's very, I'd like to, I want to develop that in a moment. I hadn't thought of it that way. That is a very powerful, and it's a very Christian answer, and you're a very Christian man. But the, the other is, on purely non-theological and non-suffering grounds, you'll also gain friends. When you come out of the closet, good folks will know who you are. Amen. Amen. And I can give you uh, a story about a non-Christian, a non-Jew, a non-believer, Václav Havel, the first president mm -hmm. of a free Czechoslovakia. He was a political prisoner for many years because he resisted communism. Havel wrote an essay in 1977 uh, called The Power of the Powerless, 
And in that essay, he came up with a, a parable uh, he invented, the parable of the greengrocer. He said, imagine that you have a greengrocer in a communist city who, like all the other business owners in this city, puts a sign up in his shop window that says, workers of the world unite, you know, the communist slogan. None of them believe it, but they put it up in their window to avoid trouble. Well, what happens, said Havel, when the greengrocer takes the sign down one day because he doesn't want to live that lie? He wants to live in truth. Well, they take his business away. He has to go take a lesser job. His kids lose privileges, etc., etc. He really has to suffer for the truth. But what has he gained? He has shown that it is possible to live in the truth if you're willing to suffer for it. And by his moral example, he shows others that it's possible to be courageous and that in time they will overthrow the dictatorship of lies. That is your secular answer for why it's important to suffer even if you don't have a theological perspective. Because if no one's prepared to suffer, we lose freedom. That's right. Period. We lose our civilization. Liberals don't, in general, understand how bad leftism is until they're sent to the gulag. Exactly. That is the, and even then, you know, that was my field of study, communism, which is, it's astonishing to me, it's almost divinely ordained, that I would choose the most unheard of major, communist affairs. Nobody majored in that. And it turned out to be the most valuable thing I could study. So when, uh, when, Men were tortured to death in Soviet prisons. You know what they, to almost to a person, do you know what they said? Oh, if only Comrade Stalin knew what they were doing, mm -hmm. this wouldn't be happening. Yeah, and do you know Solzhenitsyn wrote in the Gulag Archipelago, he said, uh, talking about the tortures the Bolsheviks instituted, he said, if you'd gone back in Russia to the 1890s and talked to Chekhov and all these liberal intellectuals and told them that within 30 years, medieval tortures would be brought back to Russia, they wouldn't have believed you. Right. They could not have imagined it. It was bad under the czar, but it, it was paradise compared to what it was un under, the, under the Soviets, and including culturally. I mean, what, what, it's the same with the left in the United States. The culture, getting away from the moral issues, just the cultural ones, the, the, the killing of the arts that is taking place and has been since World War II. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, there's Philip Reif, I don't know if you know his work, the great Jewish thinker, secular Jewish thinker, he called these death works. He was not a religious man, but he said that the art that has Become dominant. I love it. I love it. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. He said the art that's become dominant in the West. Deuteronomy, and I have put before you today life and death, and you shall choose life. It has become to me one of the ten most important verses in the Bible. This is it's it's a death cult. The left. Yeah, we choose death in our art. Just this week, I don't know if you saw the video music awards. I don't watch that, but I did see that the video of the year was won by a rapper named Lil Nas X, whose video showed him being sodomized by Satan. And this is the video of the year. It's got almost four the million. The MTV? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. What have I said about MTV all of my career? 
Yeah. They, they have this a special place in hell for MTV executives. Now, I, I wrote on my blog that in Russia in the early 20th century, Satan became a cult figure for the artistic uh, class, not because they believed in the devil, but because they saw him as an example of human will triumphant, individual will. This is the thing that preceded the revolution, this kind of decadence. And I think we're seeing that here, if you have eyes to see. Well, is it preceding a revolution? I don't know. It's preceding a collapse. That could be that's right. The, uh, presage a revolution. We don't know. So uh, I'm asked all the time. So Dennis, is there hope? So I'll tell you my famous joke about that. Then I'll tell you what I really think. So I, I, in my twenties, I would I would visit Israel every year, and I. There was a rabbi who was, I was sort of his, his favorite young person. He stayed at his home, Jerusalem. And he told me a story one day, apropos of nothing. He said, in the early days, you know, Israel was found a socialist country. So I went to the Ministry of Communications for a phone. And I said, when's my phone arriving? And they said, six months from now. So I said to the clerk, is there any hope I could get it sooner? And Dennis, the clerk, responded, Sir, there's always hope. There's no chance. <laughs> so, Roger Ayer, by the way, on, the, on, a, on a list of kindred spirits, you know, one to ten, ten being a clone, and there is no such thing, I'd say we're about eight and a half, maybe nine. I mean, I can't. I don't know where we would differ, actually, uh, based on on reading you and speaking to you. And I just want to say to those of you listening, when you tell me how much it gives you strength when you hear me, because I'm articulating things that you believe, that's the same ha- same thing happens to me when I meet people who articulate what I believe. It, it's it, it's strengthening to me. So it is a joy to be with Roger Ayer. By the way, there's a piece on him in The New Yorker today, which I have not yet read. You just told me about. It's not a hit piece. No, it's pretty fair. I have to say the the writer, uh, Ben Wallace-Wells, told me in advance, he goes, look, I'm a liberal, but I'm going to treat you fairly. And I think he did. Good. Well, I certainly want to read the piece because I'm obviously so involved, you, Hungary, and America. So my theory and then I, I want you to react, and again, I even welcome a, di- a different take. My theory is that leftism is the substitute religion for the death of Christianity in the West. That there is no such thing as people without religion. They'll either have biblical religion or they'll have secular religion. And that, in a, in a nutshell, that's what I think leftism is. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. You're exactly right. And in uh, my book, Live Not By Lies, I talk about wokeness as a pseudo-religion, as a religion for people who will not have God, and so they have to create a sense of value themselves. And, uh, you know, I when I was doing my research for the book, I ran across a quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great anti-communist dissident, who said that when they first put him in the gulag, he heard 
prisoners say the reason that this calamity befell Russia is because men had forgotten God. That sounded trite to Solzhenitsyn, but he said the longer he spent in prison, the more he realized how true it was that the entire construct of Bolshevism, of Soviet communism, was a substitute religion for people who had forgotten the, the God of the Bible and would not live by the, the teachings of the Bible. I think we're living through the same thing right now. And uh, if, we are, if we on the right are trying to fight this fight from purely political means, or purely political means, we're going to lose. This is ultimately a spiritual battle. And I don't mean to conflate uh, spirituality and religion with politics. That can be really dangerous for both religion and politics. But what I am saying is that, for me, I support fighting wokeness and fighting the left because that's the only way to keep the institutions, the churches, the synagogues, the religious schools that do give us meaning keep them free to do what they're supposed to do. And this, Dennis, is why I have no trouble allying myself with people like Barry Weiss, a liberal gay Jew who is one of the bravest women in America today because she stands up against the woke. She, I, I'm absolutely on her side, even though we would disagree with so many other things, because she knows that freedom is the most important thing, the freedom for us to do what we need to do in our own private lives. Told you, folks, uh, nine. I, uh, the only way to be ten is to is is basically to be me. I, I, you know, none of us have clothes, but we are so. It's so invigorating to hear this from you, and we come from such different backgrounds to the exact same conclusion. I ended the last hour, and you were, you were seated here, and you heard me. I said, "The this is the issue: fighting the left." I don't need to agree with you on a hundred other issues if you understand that the left is the lethal threat to the United States of America. Then it doesn't matter to me, just like with Barry Weiss and you, and Barry Weiss and me for that matter. Yeah, and, and us and Victor Orban. Look, there are things about Victor yes, Orban that I don't exactly. agree with. exactly. That's right. That's right. But that man understands yes. at a level that even so many of our American conservative politicians don't understand that right. we are in a civilizational conflict. How do you explain the never Trumper conservative? Well, they, I mean, look, I, I was not a Trump fan. I was not a never Trumper. I was against them because they were defending a rotten establishment. But uh, I don't I don't like Donald Trump. I don't agree with a, a lot of what he has to say. And my, my main critique of Trump is that he was not Victor Orban, which is to say he was not focused and disciplined in his fighting. That said, the idea that we could go back to what we had before Trump is just nuts. I mean, I, I'll say this for Trump. I'm grateful that he destroyed the Republican Party establishment because they were just, they, they only existed to ratify what the Democrats had decided they wanted five years earlier. Well, that's entirely correct. Uh, look, I was opposed to him while he was uh, running uh, for the nomination. And then the day he was nominated, I became pro him. Because, and I would have been pro any other Republican. Turns out, by the way, I, I think I probably think more highly of him as president. I thought he did a great job. When you analyze what he did, it is astonishing. That he didn't do more uh, is not my lament. Uh, because I don't even think he knew what a swamp Washington was. I didn't know. Right. And my, my, my contempt for the FBI, CIA, American Medical Association is brand new. I didn't know how utterly corrupt they were. Now I do. 
And we're reading just today in the Washington Post that the top general, head of Joint Chiefs, Mark uh, Milley, was so fearful Trump might spark a war with the China with China that he called his Chinese counterpart to say, "I'll give you a heads up if this is coming." It's astonishing that it, that the Washington Post even reported that. Well, final segment here on the Ultimate Issues Hour with Rod Dreher, who, by the way, religiously is Christian, specifically Eastern Orthodox. So you, you've really traveled the, the route within Christianity, starting Presbyterian, correct? Methodist. Methodist, sorry. Non-observant Methodist. That's almost redundant, but not entirely. <laughs> Uh, it reminds me of the old joke about Unitarians. They believe in, at most, one God. <laughs> uh, the, the, the mainstream Protestant churches, like non-Orthodox Jewish uh, synagogues, have, have, uh, have adopted the New York Times over the Bible. It, as a general rule, there are exceptions, but it's a tragedy. So you, you then went to Catholicism and then went to Eastern Orthodoxy. Yeah, I had a big conversion in my 20s when uh, I discovered God, uh, the God that I never knew existed. And just because my family, we weren't really observant growing up, and I had a profound conversion to Catholicism, was very faithful uh, Catholic for 13 years, but then got caught up writing about the abuse scandal and uh, had my faith just broken out of me. But God was good to me in that. Uh, it was a severe mercy because my faith prior to that had been so intellectual, so in my head, and I was so intellectually arrogant that I didn't realize how lost I really was. I washed up as a shipwreck in Eastern Orthodoxy, and I'm grateful to be Orthodox, but I, uh, I'm a very different kind of religious believer now than I was back then. Well, two religious believers sitting here understanding that the crisis of the West is fundamentally about that. I said on the show today that I, I find with religious people, and you're probably, not probably, you're definitely an, another example. I think religious people question their religiosity far more than secular people question their secularism. I think you're right about that. I mean, I, I go to confession in the Orthodox Church, as in Catholicism, we have confession, and uh, I have to think about it every week because I know how far I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And uh, I believe that my job is repentance, to uh, live a holy life as best I can. Well, perfect. Yom Kippur is tomorrow night. You are, you are the perfect Christian introducer of Yom Kippur. By the way, I'm conducting services again, folks. If you'd like to see it live streamed, go to SalemNow.com. I promise it will touch your life, whatever your faith. Rod Dreher, you are a joy. I'm glad we know each other. Keep writing, keep fighting. The West and God are worth it. Thanks, my friend. It's great to be here. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Hugh Hewitt for townhall.com. There is a lot we still do not know about Americans stranded in Afghanistan. 
President Biden, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, and Press Secretary Jen Psaki now all suffer from a credibility gap born of obfuscation over this Afghan catastrophe. Two Sundays back, White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain told CNN there were around 100 Americans left in Afghanistan. On Thursday, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham said hundreds, plural, are still there. Then, on Monday, we learned that there are thousands of green card holders there. What we are looking at is what I've labeled America Held Hostage 2.0. On Wednesday last week, Jen Psaki said there were a handful of Americans still in Afghanistan. A handful! That's astonishing indifference to worries of families and friends across the country. Americans do not come in handfuls. They come in ones, and each one matters. What American abandoned is a crisis. We celebrate every American who escapes, but we cannot forget and dare not accept this minimization of Americans left behind. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.